Welcome to the Let's Talk Recovery and Family Podcast. My name is Jack. Glad to see you guys. I hope you've had, uh, um, well, I was going to say I hope you've had a good day, but today in Texas is freaking smoldering. Um, You know, when the dew points in the mid-70s and humidity is 90-something, you don't even have to do much. and You'll be sweating like you're sitting in a sauna. It's tough. So if you're outdoors, be safe. Be safe. Drink lots of water. Um, cause, uh, I have actually seen people, roofers roll right off a house, passed out. It's not a good thing. This kind of heat is dangerous and I'm going to have to do some reacclimating. I think, I don't know if you guys remember the first few podcasts. Uh, I mentioned having relocated back to Texas from, from Oregon. Um, <laughs> I've seen some pictures, uh, from Oregon today from some friends and the mountains still have snow on them. Uh, so, uh, you can imagine that it's not quite, uh, the same kind of weather going on there. It can get warm there, but not like here, not like here. It's just crazy. Anyway, glad you're back. Hope you guys, um, are getting, uh, something out of these, uh, podcasts. Um, if so, please, 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 please don't hesitate to hit that, uh, support button. Um, anything that uh, you feel led to, uh, um, contribute would be great. Um, helps me keep my materials stocked and my electronics in working order because you all know um, if you work in an office setting, uh, sometimes your electronics don't always agree with you, and that's okay. That's okay. Anyway, appreciate you. Um, topic I'm talking about today is good for the whole family, so I'm hoping that you'll share this with your addict family member or addicts, alcoholics, share this with um, your family, the family you're hoping to draw some support from. Uh, Remember I said in earlier sessions that family doesn't have to be blood relatives. Um, It's that close-knit, tight group of people that are healthy supporters of what you do, right? I don't need you resorting back to those uh, old friends because remember, if nothing changes, nothing changes. So keep that in mind, right? Everyone needs to be prepared for the newcomer. I'm talking the person that has just decided to get clean and sober, whether you're white knuckling it on your own, which I do not recommend. But if you chose to go that route, because maybe you're too hard headed to go to treatment because you feel like it's, uh, I've heard people say it's beneath me. I'm not one of those people. Trust me, if your family's having issues with your drinking and drugging, you are one of those people. Um, so get past that, get in treatment. It's the healthiest, safest way um, to get some good, honest, healthy days under your belt before you try to take on the world, right? I highly recommend treatment. Um, the newcomers that we call them in the rooms of AA and NA, those are the ones that are just starting to come in to the groups because, again, they just finished treatment possibly um, or maybe did their own little home detox or whatever, uh, and then they decide to go into the meetings. Um, Whichever you choose, family members know that the first six months to a year are the hardest. Alcoholics, addicts, I know you probably already know that the first six months to a year are the hardest. Family members, I'm asking you to please Be as supportive as you can at this time. 
if someone took the time to educate them through treatment, give them a set of tools that they can use when they get out, it's a pivotal time. I know that there's anger. I know that there's resentment. I know that in some cases there's even fear, right? But please, listen to what I'm sharing. Listen to what I'm sharing, right? Because I think coming from an addictions counselor, I feel like some of our, and this is just my point of view, I feel like um, some of our biggest struggles in helping someone get clean and sober and work towards staying clean and sober are the uphill battles we have with the family. You have no idea how much you can impact this particular situation in the first six months to a year. Alcoholics and addicts are volatile, right? They're just starting to learn how their feelings work and how to process those, right? And if the first uphill battle they have is their own family, it never goes well. It never goes well. And that's probably, I would feel safe to guess that for most counselors, uh, for most of us, that is a tough call. And it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough haul trying to get through those barriers because when those people are in those rooms in a group or in session and they're sharing some of the things that they think and feel about their family members, and I'm not saying family members, I'm not saying that it's necessarily all true. This is their perception, right? However altered or distorted it may be by drugs and alcohol, perception is everything. And in the moment, that's how they feel, that there's pressure. And it makes this uphill battle that much more difficult. So work on that. It can sometimes make or break the attic. I'm hoping to go over in a couple of sessions a few things, um, maybe some areas uh, for planning, because this is what this is, is planning for sobriety. Uh, and the whole family needs to be planning for this scenario. Planning for sobriety, right? Um, I want to look at some areas uh, as far as focusing on the planning itself. Uh, we'll look at things, planning for sobriety, uh, relapse warning signs, um, and even a, a few components um, of a full program of recovery. What kind of benefits there are to uh, some of the components uh, within a full program of recovery. Um, so yes, addicts and alcoholics, I might be talking about making some meetings, right? Remember I talked about you hanging around like-minded people and staying drunk and high? You need to utilize the strength of that sort of same congregating and get around like-minded people who want to stay clean and sober, right? You can't just go, I want to get clean and sober and then isolate yourself. It does not work, right? It does not work. It's difficult. It's a difficult road. It's something that everybody's got to get to 
looking at what their part in it can be. And yes, family members, I'm, I'm talking to you too. I'm talking to you too. Um, again, I know there can be some really harsh feelings, but I'm asking you, and for in most cases, to help save the life of this alcohol or addict who's making an attempt, right? Let's say they've gotten out of treatment for 30 days and they want to make a, a, a wholehearted attempt. But the first thing they get from you is the side eye, right? And the non-belief, right? And the negative vibes and that snooty look down your nose sort of thing. Um, <laughs> that's not a good way for an alcoholic or addict to start off new in recovery. Not at all. Okay, hold on one second. Got to get some of this good southern sweet tea. <clears throat> yeah, that's not a good start at all. And it makes it much more difficult. They lose the willingness to even attempt, right? It's just one of those things. One of those things. But that also doesn't mean for the alcoholic and that to get out and milk it either. You've done 30 days in treatment, right? You didn't do 30 days in a superhero boot camp. So don't get it twisted. There's got to be some balance there. I know the family's going to say it was only 30 days, right? And the addict's going to say, but it was freaking 30 days. There's got to be balance. Got to be balance, right? So some of the stuff we asked, you know, consider ways in which sobriety and relapse are processes and the ways in which relapse is a decision process. It can be. You will be asked uh, or we'll be talking about examining the difference between relapse warning signs um, you have experienced and um, to understand the components of a full recovery program, including those components that might be difficult for you. Some people don't want to go to meetings, but I'm telling you, whether you like it or not, you can't knock it. Meeting makers make it. It's proven time and time and time again. Right. Uh, I've even known people who didn't go necessarily an alcoholic or uh, um, an addict meeting. AA or NA. They found some other alternatives like Celebrate Recovery. Right. Or some people went and found support groups for the issues that could be the component for the relapse triggering. Right. If you've got depression, they decide to go to a depression um, group. Right. Anything like that. But I'm telling you, doing nothing is not good at all. Right. Again, you got to do something. Do something. And it includes those components that may be difficult for you. Right. This can be challenging. Right. It can be personal. Right. It will take courage. That's for sure. Going through this uh, time can provide you with an important skill. Planning for recovery is important. And we've talked about this too. It's kind of a um, real quick um, overview of previous conversations, the process of addiction, right? In other sessions, we focused on identifying triggers, discovering how they develop, learning how they can promote drug thoughts and craving, and learning ways to stop those triggers from causing relapse. We've discussed some of those, right? Um, in some cases, we focused on the importance of planning and preparing for high-risk situations. Know what those are for you, 
Don't wait till you're in the middle of it. Right? Don't wait till you're in the middle of a conversation with the dealer. And then try to wiggle your way out. It becomes very difficult, especially for newcomers. Addiction is a process. It is not an event at a single point in any time. Some people, for some people, it is a slow process. For others, it is quick. Either way, it is a process made up of many small steps and decisions. And if addiction is a process made up of many small steps and decisions, so should your sobriety planning. Right? So should your planning. You can't just go, hey, I'm out of treatment. Yay. Now I want a job. I need a bank account. I need a new car. Right? I'm hoping to have a kid. Don't rush into anything. Matter of fact, most of us would suggest you don't even start a new relationship for the first year. Right? Um, So keep that in mind. Now let's look at sobriety and relapse and how it's also a process. Sobriety is also a process. It is not one big decision. Like, I'm never going to use again. Right? That kind of thinking is dangerous. That kind of dangerous, that kind of thinking is dangerous. It can't be just, I'm out of treatment and I'm healed. That's not how this works at all. Right? Rather, sobriety is a, is learning to make many small decisions that lead away from alcohol and other drug use. Small decisions. After being addicted for several years, people must learn to take steps in the right direction and avoid even and yeah, avoid even small steps backwards. Right? Avoid those small steps that cause you to go backward to alcohol and other drug use. Relapse is also a process. It is serious decisions. It's a, it's a, it's crazy. It is a process. It's a serious a series of decisions. Some big steps come, small steps come, right? You're everywhere in the middle in the direction of drinking and drugging. You make small decisions, some big steps, some small steps in the direction of drug use because we're not paying attention, not paying attention. The first time you get out of treatment and three weeks, three, four weeks, maybe two months later you got a job and the boss rubs you the wrong way, you didn't even realize that under a, a lower conscious of awareness, you were already craving, already having that sort of thing that happens to us, and the boss goes off on you, and the first thing you do is quit. No questions asked. You throw in the towel, you're out the front door. Right? Now you've applied some financial pressure to yourself. So be careful with those big and small steps or decisions. Planning for sobriety, right? It centers around those decisions, big or small. The more people become aware 
of these decisions, the better able they are to avoid using. Every little thing matters. Every little thing matters. And some people balk at that. They're like, come on now. You talking about I can't even go decide on a pair of shoes or, you know, don't overthink it. That's another thing alcoholics and addicts do. Overthink it. So many of them want to quit everything. I'm not using drugs. I'm not drinking anymore. No, I don't want the aspirin or Tylenol either. You know, you're setting yourself up. It's not a good thing. Not a good thing. Family members, this is where you come in, right? Hold on, some more tea. When your addicted family member is going through some of those moody days, is when you're going to have to realize, notice when those occur, and also note that it's just going to be one of those days or moments. It may not even last a whole day, right? Might not even last a whole day. They're just a moment where they're feeling anxious, maybe a little overwhelmed, right? Because they're on their feelings and they're used to masking those things. The last thing they need is for you to act on or react to whatever their frustration is, only to launch what could be this small thing into a great big argument. Right? Know that they're going to have those days where the struggle is real. Not every day is going to be easy for the first six months to a year. Because these guys are going to go through a whole lot of mood changes, a whole lot of spiritual changes, right? There's a whole lot of things that happen that you're not going to see. You're not going to see. You remember, relapse is rarely a single decision on any given single Friday evening. It's a buildup. The decision to relapse is usually made long before somebody has the drink or the drug. Keep that in mind, family. If you're seeing those frustrated days a little more often, and you notice they quit their job, right? Those could indicate the beginning of a tailspin. Relapse decisions and behavior begin in small decisions that the addicted brain may think are unimportant. Mm. Come on, family. You got to be aware of these things too. Relapse decisions and behavior begin in the small decisions that the addicted brain may think are unimportant. I quit my job today. The boss pissed me off a week ago. And then three days ago. And then he had me do something today because he was going to be, he was mad at me. So I quit. But I got another job lined up. They always say, if you're going to quit a job, have a job. But I got another job lined up and I start there next week. Which is all fine and good. 
But what if that's happened, same scenario, two other times in the last six months? Right? In the beginning, it seemed very subtle. In the beginning, it seemed very subtle. But it's important that the addicted brain may think those things are unimportant. Even things like missing a treatment session. Let's say you're in outpatient treatment. And today you just feel a little bit off enough to go, you know, I think I'm going to miss today. I'm not feeling it. Maybe a support group meeting. Right? Maybe a support group meeting. You know, I go every night now for the last, let's see, 89 days. Well, they told you, or the suggestion is make 90 meetings in 90 days. Why blow the one off? Right? Not calling your sponsor. Maybe a sponsor wants you to call them twice a week, Tuesday, Thursday, same time of the evening. Right? And you miss the call on Thursday. You blow through the weekend. You don't go to the meetings on the weekend either. Come Tuesday, you blow off the call again, right? And you start calling in sick. I'm telling you, all these things seem so subtle. They seem so subtle, but they can be so pivotal. And sometimes it takes family members to even realize or help an addict realize that those things are happening, right? It's hard to do it because... One, sometimes the family members are still pissed off, right? They're still pissed off. They're like, I don't care if you lose your job. If you quit again, though, you're out of here. Oh, no. Oh, no. Not the family kicking them out. Mm. Right? That's sort of a shove off the cliff. And I'm not saying family members that that might not be the appropriate thing to do. What I'm suggesting is that you look at other avenues, right, with the mindset that what you're seeing are little warning signs. Maybe the relapse hadn't happened yet. And here's a pivotal moment for you to help get a more positive outcome. But instead, you kick them out and launch them into overdrive. Nearly everyone in recovery can give examples of relapse warning signs. Just about everybody. If I think everybody could. If they thought long and hard enough, they could give examples of what warning signs are for them. Because they differ for everybody. Sometimes these are simply examples of people falling back on an old behavior. Other times these warning signs mean that some part of the recovery plan needs to be strengthened. Right? Maybe you've got a little loosey-goosey. You go to three meetings. A week and thinking all these negative thoughts, feeling a little bit of depression, uh, maybe some pressure from the boss if you're working or parents, family members. So then what you do is you crank up the volume on the meetings. You don't stop going, right? You share that at the podium and describe what you're thinking and feeling about those stressors. You don't back out of there. We always seem to go backwards, right? Always seem to go backwards. So consider strengthening your recovery plan wherever you feel like you need to. Since relapse warning signs represent a serious problem, 
it's important to one, identify examples of relapse warning signs are, and I would say share them with your closest people, family members. Um, they can help you keep an eye. Um, sure, they may become a little overzealous at times, but you know, you sort of help create that monster. If you got overzealous family members who are always on top of you, right? Quit complaining about it, right? Come on, I hear that too, all the time. My, my mom does this, my dad does this, my brother, sister, whoever. They're always on me, they're watching me like a hawk. Well, I'll remember, the few things that you stole them from them is sort of what created that monster. So all the money you've borrowed or taken, right? has sort of helped create that monster. So identify examples, share them with people you feel comfortable with, do something about them, right? Here are a few examples of some warning signs that people can, can take into consideration. Fear of failure. Do you have a fear and uncertainty about your ability to stay clean? Believe it or not, that can be an issue for some addicts. Do you lack the confidence in your ability to stay sober? That can happen too, right? Compulsive attempts to impose sobriety on others. Sometimes family members do that. Do you have a very strong negative emotion, opinions about other people who drink or use drugs? Oh, man. Mm. Alcoholics, addicts, hear me when I say. Avoid climbing up on that high horse just because you got three hours clean and sober, right? You've made two meetings in two weeks, but you've managed to not drink or drug in that time frame, and you seem to know it all. Don't do that. Do not do that. You're setting up your peers, and you're setting up yourself. So... If you're one of those who tend to have a very strong negative opinion about how other people are uh, operating or conducting or maneuvering their own recovery, get off, right? Leave it alone. You cannot judge other people's recovery, right? Do you find that you, you uh, um, <clears throat> comment on the quality of the recovery of others, of other recovering addicts. Why would you comment on the quality of their recovery anyway? It ain't your business, right? It ain't your business. Do you sometimes focus more on others than yourself? That's a dangerous place to be, alcoholics and addicts, right? That's a terrible, scary place to be. Here's another one be a warning sign tunnel vision some people view their lives in um in isolated pieces rather than a whole mm. that's not good isolated pieces today i lost my job therefore my whole life sucks come on now that's not healthy mentality at all My family members still accuse me of using drugs. So I, I must be in a total piece of crap. Right? 
You cannot create a whole picture out of these little pieces. View your life in isolated pieces rather than a whole. That's dangerous. You sometimes focus on one problem area and ruminate about it or about how bad it is. You know, children do that. You spank them or whatever you do for discipline, you put them in the corner because they marked on the wall, right, with a crayon or something. If you're not careful and not listening to the words they say, you might miss it. I've heard kids say, I'm just a terrible person. Boy, that's not, a, that's not, a, that's not a good. If you've got a toddler already talking like that, it's not good. So be mindful of that stuff, right? You sometimes focus on one negative area to the point at which you feel hopeless, helpless, or even feel as if you are being treated unfairly. One scenario and you bleed it and bleed it and milk it for whatever it's worth, it's not healthy, not healthy. Just own the one situation and move on. Family members, allow your addicted family member to own the situation and you cut it loose too. Process it, work through it, find some help if you need to, but don't bring it up later just to be bringing it up later, right? Anyway, thank you guys. We'll be going over some more of those things in our next podcast. I appreciate you. Glad you came and tuned in. Talk to you soon.